Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We are finishing this morning a series in the gifts of Christmas, and we find ourselves exploring the gifts of the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Stand with me as we read this passage together. This is the word of God, and if you let it, it will change your life. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Pray with me. Father, as we look at these last gifts of the Christmas season, I pray that all of your gifts would not, would not be pushed off to the side and forgotten, would not be just a trinket of today that's tossed out when it's old or boring. Father, ignite in us a newfound joy for your gifts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God has given us so many wonderful gifts and, and done it throughout all of our lives. And, and we've been looking at some of the most precious of those during this Christmas season. We've, we first saw the gift of life that God gives. And we heard God's call to live that life in obedience to his commands. We've received the gift of a promise of restoration and been beckoned to heed that promise by trusting in him. We've received a gift of grace in spite of a multitude of our sins throughout our history and throughout the history of all humanity. And yet, we've also come to know our need to repent of our sins in light of that grace. We've received God's smallest gift, his very own son born in Bethlehem. And we've been confronted with the choice to put faith in him. Now in this final week, of examining the gifts of Christmas, we find that there's not one gift remaining, but lots. In fact, there's a whole slew of unwrapped presents left under the tree. God is not a stingy God. He's a God who delights in giving. The scriptures point to that fact. 79 times in the Bible, you will find God himself saying, I will give. Now, sometimes that's not a very good gift because sometimes that gift is punishment for sin. 
But a lot of the times, those gifts are wonderful gifts. And even in those punishment, it can be calls to repentance and be wonderful out of a bad situation. In fact, I looked up in a dictionary, a Bible dictionary, and it's a good thing to use Bible dictionaries because it can kind of give you a sense of what all of Scripture says about something. So I looked up giving, and the dictionary talked about how God has given so many different things, and it began to list all of the things that God had given in Scripture. Well, he'd given us life. And we talked about that the first week of this, didn't we? How God has given us life. I have set before you today life and death. Choose life that you might live, right? We talked about that. He's given the sun to provide heat and light to make life possible. Plants that, that, that give out the oxygen that we need to breathe. Animals, water, clothing. You know the first clothes come from God? Now, Adam and Eve tried with fig leaves, but uh, it turns out fig leaves don't make clothes. Grass for the fields, rain to make flowers and plants and grass grow. Companionship, husband and wife, the ability to bear children, sleep. I know those two don't really go together very often. Strength to work, artistic skill comes from God. The ability to learn, the ability to communicate, with each other, the promised land for his people. Not only the promised land, but the conquering of the promised land, the doing away with the folks that live there so that they could live there, the, the blessings of homes that are already built, plants that are already yielding fruit. All of these things, gifts from God, his promises, his covenants, his laws, peace, God's own son, God's Holy Spirit, Wisdom and understanding, a new heart, power to become God's children, justification from sin, eternal life, leadership in all its various forms, whether apostles or prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, kings, priests, shepherds, deliverers, reconciliation with God and with other men, the building up of the church, grace to share the gospel, and that's not even to mention all the spiritual gifts. God has given us so many great things. James puts it this way. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Paul tells the Ephesian church, and I love the way that Paul connects the riches of God with his gifts. Look at this. But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. No, God is not a stingy God. He loves to give. So it should be no surprise at the bounty that he bestows upon us. You might ask the question, what does this have to do with the wise men? I mean, aren't they the ones bringing God gifts? Don't they bring the gifts to Christ? What, what does this have to do with God's gift to me? Hang with me. 
Because I believe in the story of the wise men, we find a connection that spans the ages from men that we don't even know where they're from to the person in the pew across from you. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this, by the way, uh, this is something interesting that Matthew does. The first section, the very first verse, he begins with Jesus. And then at the end of the genealogy, he says, he, he basically ends the genealogy with Jesus. He says that, that there were different generations from Abraham to David, from David to, um, to the exile, from the exile to Christ. And he basically ends the genealogy, starting with Jesus, ending with Jesus. Then he tells in, in the birth narrative, he starts, now this is the way that Jesus was born. And, and then at the very end, you will, and he called his name Jesus. And so he starts with Jesus, he ends with Jesus. Now in chapter 2, verse 1, he's going to start with Jesus once again. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Do you get the sense that Matthew is a little preoccupied with Jesus? <laughs> For good reason, right? I mean, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? This is the story of Jesus. So he ought to be the main point. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, this would be Herod the Great, behold, wise men came from the east, from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We don't know much about the Magi. We do know a little bit. The term started off as a priestly order, mostly in Persia. There were these priests, and they would do all kinds of things to divine the will of the gods, whether it would be things like magic, um, not the illusion, sleight of hand kind of stuff that we deal with, uh, that we mostly know today, but like dark magic, like, like Ouija board type magic, that kind of stuff, the occult practices like that, or whether it would be interpreting dreams, or whether it would be just collecting all kinds of information or studying the stars. These were priests that were trying to divine the will of their gods. Over time, that, that, that title Magi would become expanded. It wouldn't just be those priests, but it would be wise men in general, men of learning, men who had done all, would do all sorts of different things. You would probably a higher one when you had an important decision to make to help you discern the right choice. That, that would be what these kind of men were. The, these magi come from the east. We don't know where. They're different guesses, but we really don't know for sure. What matters more than where they're from, though, is what they came for. They saw a star, and it said, there's a king born. I, I know that star. I've read in the prophecies. Maybe may, they, they definitely had some kind of connection with the Jews. I don't think they were Jews, but they had had contact with the Jews and had probably collected Jewish prophecy along with other prophecies of other nations. And, and one of them says, hey, wait a minute. I know that. There's a prophecy about that. And they find it, and, and it says there's a king of the Jews that's been born. And they say, well, we got to go see this king. So that's what they do. Now, if you were... Put yourself in Herod's shoes for a minute. If you're Herod and someone walks in and says, I heard a new king was born. You guys know where he is? <laughs> What's your thought? Wait a minute, I'm the king. <laughs> Verse three, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. That word is the word you use of a 
see in the midst of a storm. And all Jerusalem with them. Maybe they were afraid of what he was going to do. Maybe they were worried because they weren't anticipating a king either. What's this going to mean? And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He does exactly what you expect him to do. He gets a panel of experts together, a crack team of chief chief priests and scribes, not only the current high priest, but the heads of the priestly houses, the, the, the main priests, the ones who would know the story best, the scribes, the experts of the law, former high priests. Let's get all of the experts in and let's get a team together to figure this out. What, do you, what, what should we expect of this king? Where was he to be born? And, and they do know the answer. In Bethlehem, they tell him. Bethlehem of Judea, there are two Bethlehems. This is the one that's nearby, just five, six miles outside the city. So it is written by the prophet, verse six, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They quote Micah. This is in Micah chapter five. Interestingly, the quote changes a little bit Um, In Micah, he says, you who are the least. But Matthew changes it to say, you by by no means the least. Oh, you may have been the least at one point. You may have been the least at a former time, but now out of you, the ruler has come. Out of you, Messiah has appeared. The one who will shepherd my people. Matthew realizes that, that the prophecy that referred to little tiny Bethlehem Now that it's been fulfilled, Bethlehem ain't little tiny anymore. So far, it looks like the story has absolutely nothing to do with God's gifts to us. But hang with me. Once Herod gets his information, he decides to do a little bit of detective work himself. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. All right, the experts have had their say. Now they're gone. So Herod calls the wise men into his chamber and says, tell me about this star. Last week we saw Joseph planning to put Mary away secretly. Same word. And, and, and it's, a, it's out of his righteousness, right? He, he knows he has to deal with the situation, but he doesn't want to shame Mary in the process. But here we see Herod acting secretly, not out of righteousness. He's plotting. We'll find out a little bit later. The plot ends up being he takes the information he gets from these wise men and after they don't return to him, he starts killing all the baby boys two years of age and younger to make sure he gets rid of this competitor. He he carefully collects the information to figure out just what he needs to do. And then verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go, and search diligently for the child. Make careful inquiry. Figure out exactly where the child is. This is Herod figured out exactly when the star appeared. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too, I too may come and worship him. Yeah, uh-huh, sure. We know, but he sends them on their way. What's interesting about this is the child was only five or six miles away. Why didn't he just go? If he was that worried, why didn't he just pick up and go? Instead, he tells the wise men, now you go and do all the work for me so I don't have to do any work. 
He sends them off. He instructs them to inquire carefully. That would be the literal meaning of search diligently. And then to let him know. And then something amazing happens next. Now, uh, I should note, when you look at the night sky, you see planets and stars and galaxies, nebulae, novas sometimes. You see all kinds of wonders. If you look for very long, you'll see that things don't stay still. They move. In fact, they move in a circular pattern. If you take a camera and instead of like the real quick shutter speed, you leave the shutter open for 30 minutes, an hour, you will see the streaks of how the stars move. That's not what this star does. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. What you actually have going on is this star is not, and, and, and I'm putting star in quotation marks here. We don't really have a good word for it. Matthew doesn't have a good word for it, so he just calls it the best thing he can, which is star. This star rises, but it doesn't move in the normal pattern. Instead, it shoots across the sky to the place where Bethlehem is. I don't know exactly how they are led by this star, but however the star is moving across the sky, they know that's the way we need to go, and it rests over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly, with great joy. I don't know about you, but if I had been traveling and I had been searching for something that men for ages past have been looking for, and I found it, and I recognized that I found it not because I was just smart and put the pieces together, but because God was actually leading me along the way, I might rejoice exceedingly with great joy too. In fact, didn't the angels say something about great joy? Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And now here we have some of the all people, some of these magi, some of these Gentiles, men who are not Jews, who recognize because of this special thing, whatever it is, and we're going to call it a star because we don't have, we don't really know what it is. This star is leading them directly to this child and they rejoice. Because they found good news worth rejoicing. And not just not just happy, not just, yay, I'm so excited. The boys got a, a game for Christmas. And in this game, whenever a character is happy about something that happens, he like jumps up and puts his hand in the air. It's like, yes! You know, it's that kind of joy. It's that kind of joy that can't contain it. It's that kind of joy that can't sit still, that can't, that, that just has to smile and has to rejoice. It's that kind of joy. But we still haven't gotten to the gifts yet. By the way, they didn't even have to ask. They were told to ask carefully, diligently, seek. And they didn't even have to stop and ask for directions. Now that's a reason to rejoice. Once the wise men get there, verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The word for worship literally means to prostrate yourself before. It is to not only bow down, like it's not bowing down like this. This, this isn't correct. It's bowing down with your face and your hands completely on the ground. Whenever it's combined, bow, fell down and worship, it always points to actual worship, not just paying homage, not just being 
not just showing showing the king uh, that you're in submission to him. This is this is real worship. I don't know that they planned on real worship when they started this journey. They probably planned on paying homage, though. In fact, I know they did because they brought treasures with them. Ah, now we get to the gifts. Now, now we see the gifts. Verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The, the, those, do, do you see it? Wait, this is the wise men giving Jesus gifts. But don't you see? This is God's gifts. Wait a minute, God's gifts? Yeah. Where do you think the gold and the frankincense and myrrh came from? Where do you think the wisdom for them to know the prophecy and see the star and put two and two together came from? Where do you think the protection and the travel from wherever they came from to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem came from? You see, God has been giving gifts all throughout this whole trip. These wise men have the riches that they have and they have the knowledge that they have and they have made this journey that they've made by the direct guidance of God. He is the one that is giving the gifts. He has given them so many gifts. It implies here not only that they're opening their treasures, but that they're opening their treasure boxes. Not only do they have these little tiny things. Again, this is not right. It's not these little tiny boxes. They're hauling chests full of treasures, partly so they could pay for the food they need on their way partly so that they could make their journey. But a large portion of those gifts go to this Christ child, who, by the way, will need them when his family flees from Herod. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, those aren't cheap. They're not only giving him gifts that signify who he is. Matthew doesn't even focus on that. They're giving him the things he'll need to survive the next few years, the things his family will need to eat, have a place to live. I quoted James earlier, every good and perfect gift comes from the God above. The fact is God has given these things to the wise men, whether it was three or 30 or 300, uh, whether they traveled for days or months or years, God gave the provisions that they needed, not only to make the journey, but to provide for this child. And it's in their generous giving of the gifts. It's, it's in their generosity that we find the point for us. You see, God has given us many gifts and he requires us to give generously. God's given us so many good things. So many. I named a list of all kinds of things that the scripture said. You could put so many more things on your list. In fact, do that. Take some time. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. In fact, it's one of the minor themes in Scripture that God has given to us and so we ought to give in return. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You see, we receive love from God, we ought to give it to one another. He goes on to say, that's how the world's going to know that you're my disciples, because you love one another. They're going to know that you've been with me because you're showing my love to other people. 1 John 3.16, same disciple that recorded those words, recorded these words. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. God has shown us love in his sacrificial giving of his life, and so we ought to be willing to sacrificially lay down our lives for our brethren. 
Second Corinthians nine, Paul, uh, Paul talks about giving and, and God loves a tearful giver. A little bit later in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. In other words, God has given you so many things and he's given them to you so you can give them to. He didn't give them to you so you could pad your bank account. He didn't give them to you so you could live off the luxury of them. He gave them to you so that you would give them to others, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God, God's given us so many good things. He wants us to not only be recipients of his gifts, but also to be givers. When, when we're willing to give generously out of the bounty that God has given us, then we live out his command in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine. Why? So they can see your good works and glorify you because you deserve it. No. So they could see your good works and think you're a pretty nice fella. So they could see your good works and give glory to your father. Our generosity points others to the generosity of our father. That's what's so notable about the wise men. They give generously out of the provisions that God gives them, and they're pagans. They're not Christians. Now imagine how much better it would be, how much more meaningful it would be if God's own people gave like that. If Gentile magi can give, surely the people of God can. How much more meaningful it will be for the world around us when we do. Perhaps you've, um, perhaps you've realized that you've been given a lot and you haven't been so good at giving. Maybe, maybe you're the person that is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you need, you need to do more. You need to give more. I, I'm not talking about money, though money is something that's included in that. It might be time. It might be a skill. Whatever it is. Follow God and give it. Would would you just take what God has given you and share it? Maybe, maybe you you haven't trusted in Christ. You've heard the stories. You've but just just haven't done it. Haven't been willing to give the first thing, which is yourself. I'm going to be up here at the front when we sing an invitation hymn. You come and and I'll help you with how to do that. If you have and you're looking for a place to plug in and be involved, a place where you can give those talents and those gifts and, and all of the other things that God has given, that you, you're ready to plug into a place to serve him by giving others, giving to others. I, I, I know a great church and I'd love to help you make your home here, whatever the case may be. Um, we're going to sing. You, you come while, while we sing this hymn.